Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Business of Circularity. I'm your host, Stuart Hillhouse. On today's episode, I speak with Stephanie Benedetto. She's the co-founder and CEO of Queen of Raw, and really good name, very catchy, but their company is even cooler. So they are a marketplace that allows fabric producers to sell what's referred to as dead stock to the general public. So what's dead stock? She'll go into more detail explaining it in the show, but I'll just reiterate what it is. When a factory is told to produce a certain amount of a given fabric, the dead stock is all the fabric that doesn't get sold to a buyer, but was made anyways. So there could be a couple yards or there could be thousands of yards of fabric that just doesn't have anywhere to go. And so it's referred to as dead stock. And it's a really big problem. She's going to go into more details around some of the numbers here, but her business model is literally taking what would otherwise be total waste, burned or incinerated or buried, and she finds buyers for it who are willing to spend to actually spend money. So this has gone from a cost into a revenue generating. And a few numbers that I want to reiterate because it's just so mind-blowingly huge. Textiles are an $800 billion annual market. So almost a trillion dollars. And 15% of that goes towards waste. 15% of $800 billion is thrown away every single year in the textile industry alone. So that $120 billion is just sitting there in factories and warehouses not being sold by anyone. So what Stephanie's company does is connects that waste to a buyer and the buyer to ask a seller for new materials. And that marketplace is called Queen of Raw. So I'm going to let her explain a little bit more about her business and how she got started. This is a really fun episode to record, and I hope you enjoy it. Without further ado, Stephanie Benedetto. All right. Thank you so much for joining me, Stephanie. How are you doing today? My pleasure. It's great to be here. We're doing well. How are you? Awesome. Awesome. So to give everyone some context about how I was introduced to your business, I was at a supply chain conference in New York, which to most people wouldn't be a very exciting place to be. But you (laughs) presenting in front made it very exciting. And I just wanted to let you know that there was a lot to take in uh, as someone who has never heard or thought about the supply chain to see you applying it uh, in a, in a problem that needs solving, but also in a very specific industry, which is the yeah. fabric and textile industry. Yes, exactly. No, I appreciate it. It is thrilling to see the response that the world is having to supply chain and sustainability. And it was definitely... A- an amazing event in a packed room and so appreciate your being there and connecting. Yeah. So you're the co-founder and CEO of Queen of Raw. You betcha. (laughs) We went for it with the name, but it (laughs) served us well. Would you uh, mind explaining quickly to the listeners what your business is and how you uh, came about getting involved? Absolutely. So my family has been in the fashion and textiles business for over 100 years. 
in New York City. So I grew up around fashion, textiles, and supply chain. Love the business. Dislike all the waste it produces, right? From raw materials to finished goods, these supply chains uh, are very broken and inefficient and creating a lot of waste. And that's bad for people. It's bad for planets, and of course, it is bad for profit. And I just believe there had to be a better way. So we looked at the problem and built Queen of Raw as a marketplace. It's an open platform for businesses to buy and sell their unused raw material waste, in particular textile waste in the fashion industry, keeping it out of landfill and helping them turn that $120 billion a year of unused fabric into profit for them. And then we also have some fun tools using AI, machine learning, and blockchain that helps them really map, measure, and trace that waste in real time. So the uh, unused material, uh, the industry word is dead stock. Is that correct? That is correct. I know. Like the S word sustainability, the dead stock means a lot of things to a lot of people, but that is raw material waste that is sitting in supply chains, either with factories, with mills, with retailers, with brands who overpurchased and either changed a pinstripe or changed the amount that they were producing. Um, and it ends up just sitting there collecting dust or it ends up getting burned or sent to landfill, hence the term dead stock. And our goal and our vision is really to give this dead stock a, a new life. A lot of people we saw in the industry were doing incredible things around finished goods dead stock, right? Like thread up, Poshmark, the real real. But nobody seemed to be paying attention up the supply chain to all the raw material waste that was going into making that stuff. And I believe that the way we solve this issue down the chain of all the finished good waste is by looking at the systemic issue up the chain and why our supply chains are broken. Mm. And where does this, uh, the, where does the pileup happen? What, what part of the supply chain yep. is the worst for it? So funny enough, when you look at, say, take an H&M, they have 2,000 key suppliers in their supply chain. Those are the factories and the mills and their big partners. And when they contract out work to those partners and put orders in to make H&M T-shirts, for example, that work then gets sent to partner factories of those factories. And their partner factories are called Tier 1, Tier 2, Tier 3 suppliers, right? Everybody does a certain part of the work on a product, not the whole piece. Well, some big fast fashion retailers go as deep as a Tier 14 supplier. Now, imagine trying to know as a business what's going on 14 levels deep in one part of your supply chain. Um, inevitably, you can't know everything in real time, and that's where a lot of this waste starts to build up. And of course, these supply chains are complex, you know, they're all over the globe. So, you know, multiply that issue by language barriers and time barriers and some people who don't even use technology and websites when they're producing your goods. So, you know, this waste sits all over the world. And surprisingly, a lot of people don't even realize there is a ton of waste in the U.S. We, uh, some people think of this as like an Asia problem, right, or a China problem, because that's where a lot of manufacturing takes place. And, and that is a part of the problem. But there is a lot of waste sitting in the U.S. and Europe as well. So this issue is happening here today and on our shores as well. And so this material would otherwise just sit and take up space until, until what? 
Yeah, exactly. Until until what? Until it accumulates so much that someone like H&M in 2018 had to burn $4.3 billion with a B worth of unused uh, textiles, which, you know, it's not their fault necessarily, really. It, it just accumulates and accumulates. It's an issue nobody was paying attention to. And unfortunately, until, you know, us now, they really had no alternative for it. So they, they really needed a good option. Otherwise, as a business decision, they had to just burn it or send it to a landfill. The interesting thing, though, is in light of everything that's been going on around the world, there has been such a shift, both obviously in terms of people caring about sustainability, but businesses looking at their bottom lines. And this can hit up to 15% or more of a business's bottom line is impacted by their production waste, their raw material textiles that are dead stock. So it is a big, big value to them to be paying attention to now. And with all the recent changes in the laws, Recycling laws, tariffs, trade wars, you know, it has an even more massive implication because now on top of the cost of those goods that they're wasting, they may also be subject to liability if they don't do something with it. And we're proud to be able to help them offset that liability with a solution. Yeah, awesome. How did you, what kind of market research did you do before diving head deep into it? And what did you need to see uh, as indicators before going right into it? Good question. I mean, you're obviously, as any startup or any business, you're always doing your market research. Clearly, with my family history, I had been exposed to this issue. I had seen it. I had grown up around it. But when it came time to kind of find a solution, I really sat down with my team. And this started with my co-founder and CTO, Phil Durazmo, as an idea on our head that we sketched out on a napkin at Starbucks about what this kind of a solution would look like and this kind of a marketplace and what are the tools and data we would need to provide our community to nurture them, to help them, to support them. And from that idea, we really focused on getting something and Phil, my co-founder, is incredible at getting a product up there quickly and in an economically efficient manner so you can start collecting customer data and information. So we got as quickly as we could some form of a marketplace up there and then are constantly growing, iterating, diving deeper into the business and improving upon what areas need the most focus on to nurture that community. Fortunately, we're also based near the fashion district and obviously both based on my family business and my prior startup and connected to a lot of the big brands and retailers. So we naturally spent time in addition to getting a product up there and starting to collect information about user behavior, went to those factories, brands, retailers, and had kind of deep conversations over what they know about their supply chains and their ways. And a lot of times it was what they think they know, what they don't know, and then them in fact being over 10x or more wrong in what they think they have and waste on the books and what they actually had since working with us. So that was a real eye-opener to see a lot of this stuff, this dead stock is being managed, if they're good, by Excel spreadsheets, you know, and pen and paper in many ways the way my great-grandfather did in 1896. And so naturally, between departments, there's going to be errors in that kind of, of a management to the database. And so there was real opportunity for us there to get them off of those Excel spreadsheets and with some real-time data and a digital database. Well, before you were able to provide any of the tools and, and have data as part of your core functionality, how did you get your first fabric 
producer yep. to agree to be to list on your marketplace? Yeah. So the, the best, I always find that some of the best problems are the ones you experience personally. So prior to Queen of Raw, I had another startup, which was called Paper Number Nine. And we had invented a new leather alternative. And we found that uh, as we were selling this leather alternative, we would have, even though we were making it to order and it was sustainable and handmade locally here in New York, as we we're getting bigger and bigger orders and starting to kind of prepare how much inventory we would need, we would have some excess at the end. And we didn't really have anything good to do with it. But I knew there were designers dying to get their hands on what they need when they need it at the right price. So this was kind of in building that business and in looking at this and in going around to factories and mills that we were working with in CD2 were sitting on inventory and, in fact, huge volumes of inventory that they had no solution for. I realized that this was a problem that I needed to solve both for myself out of business necessity as well as for others. And, and that's really where it kind of became that company became the first seller on Queen of Raw, which, which <laughs> we're proud to, to still have today. That being said, the beauty of a marketplace and why I believe in addition to supply chains powering the world, marketplaces really drive the world, is that they are so powerful in offering people a platform that in real time, our community can make money on existing stuff. They're sitting on a gold mine. They don't have to do anything but quickly and easily list it, and we will match it to a buyer. And so when you're offering someone, a customer, a way to make money and make money quickly, I mean, it's almost hard to say no, right? So we were really proud early on to have some incredible early adopters and supporters of some of the world's biggest brands and retailers, both from luxury and from fast fashion, because everyone is feeling this pain. Yeah. How have you balanced promoting the supply as well as the demand side of the marketplace? Because it requires both to that, make it work. You bet. And that is the beauty and the challenge of marketplaces, right? You're matching buy and sell and you're constantly first building up one side, then building up the other, then going back to building up the other. I think well, you're always doing that dance um, as the flywheel gets going. And so we spent a lot of time and our focus initially was on the supply. We believed, based on our early market research, that the demand was there. People wanted a digital access to this stuff that they could never get access to before. But we needed the supply. So we focused first on nurturing those relationships with the big brands and retailers who had a lot of inventory that they were sitting on to list, especially those that were you know, physically in New York that we could meet with and share this solution with and building up that supply. Once we got the supply, I mean, the demand has been growing and growing and we are data tracking in our platform what people are searching for. Obviously, the goal being right that if someone comes in, they want something, we have it, we can match them immediately. Of course, it takes time to get there in any marketplace, but we're collecting what people are searching and constantly looking for supply to match the top order search requests that we're getting in. So everything that we had focused on initially and built around when it came to data and nurturing the community was on the supply side. Now, this past summer, we spent a lot of time on the demand side and nurturing that community and using more tools to help guide them to the products they want quickly and easily using tools like machine learning and blockchain. So, you know, you constantly are doing that dance back and forth. The beauty of the platform that we built is that it's natural for sellers to become buyers and buyers to become sellers. 
And I think that's where we're really seeing the magic now is, is in those relationships and growing. And we were fortunate in terms of timing, of course, as well, with the current political, social, economic climate being what it is. There is a factor to startup life in marketplaces, right? That is timing. Had we launched this years ago, I'm not sure it would have had the same reception or the world would have been ready for it yet. Yeah, for sure. The The data side is very interesting. So you've been keeping track of the most requested material on the demand side yeah. and then ensuring that you create a convenient, seamless experience so that those ones are always able to be satisfied so that a person who might be taking a chance and has never visited Queen of Raw goes on, they'll have what they're looking for probably. And then that yeah. creates a really great experience for them in the future. Exactly. And of course, as part of that, in addition to what they're searching for, we are trying to make recommendations, show them what is trending in the market, what's also trending in terms of the sellers that they most recently searched, all those kinds of behaviors to nurture and show them the growing opportunities there for them with dead stock. We do, of course, spend a good amount of time um, on education because, of course, when you're innovating in a new space and especially a space like sustainability and dead stock textiles, it is cutting edge. It is new for some people. And although this is a very valuable win-win-win as a business proposition for our buyers and our sellers, it makes sense. Um, you do need to spend some time educating the community about what it is, what those values are, what's going on with the changes in the laws in the world, and why this makes sense for them. So, you know, we, we too have a podcast that we do in a YouTube channel, and we share the stories of our buyers and sellers as well to help nurture that. Yeah. What was your minimum viable data product because we always jump to machine learning and it's going crazy and you're recording everything but yep. what did you originally need to start recording and how technical was that early on to, to prove that there was value on both sides to collecting that data when you start i am a big fan of and so is my co-founder of leveraging what is out there that you can use to test whether going in the direction of like machine learning and AI makes sense for you in your business. And obviously I would say that almost every business would benefit in some way from that, but rather than spend millions and millions of dollars, which you easily can on modeling it out and visualizing and building out your own custom solution, leverage what is out there in open source that you can quickly and easily integrate to test. And then understand that what you should be spending your dollars on that is a real value add to you and to your customers as a business. So on the sell side, what was interesting has been, you know, obviously you kind of get with buyers what the behaviors they're doing. They want to buy something, what they're looking for and how to help them get that. But where we have spent some exciting, interesting, unique time, which didn't have open source leverage technology to utilize, was on the data we were collecting on the sell side. These sellers have had no way historically to understand their waste. They weren't data tracking it, they didn't know. And so now, since we have collected for the first time what kind of fabrics they have in waste, what they're made of, what they cost, where in the world they're sitting, we're really able to map, measure, and trace the world's dead stock now in real time. And that's where we've kind of dialed in a little bit more to being able to deliver to our large suppliers the water, the toxins, 
the energy and the dollars that they're saving in real time by the behaviors they're taking on our platform and give them that map and visualization tool. So that's where the, the area of our platform where we spend a lot more time customizing and deep diving. And we use blockchain as well as machine learning to do that. Yeah, in order to, in order to track it as it goes from a factory floor somewhere to delivered to someone in the States to then be used for their product. Yeah. Exactly. A lot of people question us at first. I mean, you know, blockchain is that also like supply chain, a sexy word right now. I'm obviously not as interested in it for the cryptocurrency Bitcoin reason as I am for the underlying technology that powers it. But I think for supply chain, blockchain is a game changer and that everything in the future is going to be on the blockchain. But the reason it mattered for us is this is waste and dead stock. And we talked about what that word means. But how do we know that? And how do we know what's going on if this is information that a brand and a retailer never had before? So by using blockchain, we're able to provide some integrity to that data. We know who said what when. We know what it costs, what it's made from, what certifications are there, where it goes. That's valuable. So we really saw the value in adding it. How much uh, did you need to educate your the, the, the big companies who are your suppliers on the value of that data? Because you said it's been pen and paper up to this point. Was there yeah. a technology hurdle there and the, the literacy that they didn't have around data? <laughs> I, I would venture to say, especially with the large brands and retailers, no offense to them, but there is always a technology literacy, right? As powerful and as huge as many of them are, I, I always am surprised by the way some of them are doing business. Some of them even are still on Shopify as an e-commerce website to sell their goods and their multi-billion dollar corporations, which is fascinating, right? And says something about the state of the industry, but it also shows how much huge opportunity there is for getting people away from the way my great-grandfather did business and into version 2.0 and the advantages that technology add, not just for technology's sake, but actually for the business value add is huge. Um, it definitely took educating our, our consumers on this and the value. I tend to not use the words blockchain and machine learning unless it makes sense for that conversation. <laughs> because you're right, you get this glassy eye or like, what are, what are they trying to show us? At the end of the day, what has sold this to our customers is seeing the data behind the business solution we offer. So we have shown them that in the past few months alone, We've already saved many of our businesses up to 15% off their bottom line, increased their top line because now they have a sustainable story to tell, helped them catch up to 98.5% of errors in real time in their supply chain, and we've saved over a billion gallons of water. And so by showing them that, as opposed to talking to them about the technology, then their eyes and ears wake up and they get it and they're ready to rock and roll. Yeah, results always speak. They do. Now, those kind of case studies to anybody doing these businesses, showing those kinds of case studies and those metrics are the game changers. We do have a tendency and we get excited by the product that we're producing and by all the cool technology that's in it for sure. <laughs> um, but there are other ways to tell the story that gets you the same or better result. So far, you've focused primarily on the fashion industry. Are there other industries yeah. whose supply chains you think you could help uh, create that transparency and, and allow them to know exactly what's going on? You bet. We didn't call ourselves a uh, queen of raw for nothing, right? <laughs> it is raw materials. And to me, the textile waste is huge. It is the second biggest polluter in the world and 
contributes to the first biggest polluter, which is oil and agriculture, of which we do use a portion in textile waste. So it's a massive opportunity in fashion and textiles, but it is just the beginning. We've looked at and are already considering in the future, what does this look like in automotive, in aviation, in computer electronics, in food and beverage, consumer goods? There are so many verticals. Any vertical that uses the supply chain will create waste. And tying that to an active marketplace to monetize that waste, along with valuable data and analytics around that, we think is is the future. Absolutely. What do the next 18 months look like? What, what kind of tools uh, do you have up, up your sleeves? We are thrilled to be continuing, obviously, to grow the platform, growing the buyers, growing the sellers. We did start this in, in the United States, obviously. That was where we had kind of a base and a network and a community. But we have been growing internationally, so we will be doing official stage global rollouts. We have some really exciting partnerships in the works that I'll be able to announce very soon um, to continue to grow and expand the network effects of this platform. And I'll be honest, I'm really excited, as in any marketplace, to see the shadow markets that appear, right? The opportunities that we're not thinking about now, but that by bringing this community into the digital space for the first time, it opens up the doors for so many things that we can do to support and nurture them. And at the end of the day, we want to solve the world's water crisis and go change the world like everybody else. Can you give an example of uh, what do you call them a shadow industry? Yeah, shadow markets. So take, for example, you think of Uber, right? Um, obviously, in many ways, similar to our model, right? They're taking underutilized resources, cars that aren't being used, putting them back into the chain of supply and demand efficiently, and matching car riders with car drivers. Um, but think of now Uber doing Uber Eats and selling food inside the Uber cars and all these additional ways that they're monetizing their business and supporting their, their community and of riders and drivers um, that many of which they probably didn't think about in their first uh, pitch deck way back when. So, so those kinds of market opportunities and growth and new developments are, are those shadow markets that we're really excited to see. Yeah. Gotcha. I can, I can only, I'm not thinking about yet. Totally. I can, I can already imagine all the new un- like things we've never been able to think of before uh, having a global supply chain mapped out in real time, there's going to just be infinite amount of things and opportunities that people can do with that. There, There is. And like I said, so many people seem to be focused on the finished good and telling that story using blockchain and obviously eliminating that waste. But I think there's such a beauty and so much interest in up the chain and the raw material side that, that nobody seems to be paying attention to just yet. But that's what we're here to solve. Do you also go higher up the supply chain to like the, the farms and the, the, pla- the, the plantations where the, the, the raw, raw materials are being collected before they get turned into textiles? Yes, we absolutely can. It is not a focus right now, but can we apply our technology and can it go from farm through to finished good and end of life? Absolutely. Um, You know, the goal is ultimately, as Zara just said, when it recently announced that by 2025, it was going to be 100% sustainable, Um, whatever that means, which we're yet to see what they mean by it. But they are obviously incredibly proud that they made that, put that stake in the ground and to be able to go from farm through to finished good and end of life. That is the heart of circular economy, right? And the second word in circular economy is economy. It's an economic principle. And I think they see the value this can add and, and the future is there. 
right? Like that's the whole reason I'm, I'm wanting to speak with people like you because sustainability is just not a word that has any action anymore. It used to be at least have a little bit of newness to it, but now you kind of are desensitized to it. It means nothing. So to have businesses who are thinking about the, the raw materials just as much as the end of life, that's the truly actionable companies that are going to create that uh, an economy that's going to work in the future as uh, the raw materials become ever more expensive and the problem of waste becomes way harder to ignore. Exactly. And I'll tell you one interesting thing in the future, right? We're seeing all these new reports in the news where people are, uh, certain countries, right, are not taking our waste anymore. And that's, I think that's only going to grow. And my ultimate vision with Queen of Raw is that we have built these marketplaces all over the world so that, I'm sorry to UPS and FedEx and other and DHL who have been great green shipping partners of ours, but in the future, I hope no but he has to ship anything anywhere, right? Because they're able to geolocate where they are in real time, what they need, when they need it, with these hyper-localized marketplaces around the inventory. And then we really have localized, on-demand, efficient supply chains. Yeah, absolutely. There's no excuse for it because we have the data now, so we know when it's coming and what, right? what needs to be where when. And it doesn't make business sense to do it any other way anyway, economically. So yeah. <laughs> I think, you know, the, the dollars are speaking. Yeah, for sure. What advice would you have for someone who has no experience in supply chains or raw, raw goods, but is feeling really inspired right now and wants to pursue more? Well, they are always welcome to reach out to me anytime. I am happy to share and always share my cell phone. It's 203-981-6993, or I'm at stephanie at queenofraw.com. Always open to continuing the conversation. Of course, there are some great resources out there as well in this circular economy movement, and the Ellen Mark Arthur Foundation is a great foundation that speaks a lot to these kinds of topics and issues, as is the United Nations and the SDGs, which we, we are partnered with and will be speaking at during Climate Week next week. So um, there are some great organizations talking about this, some great data starting to get out there in any way we can help and they can help. But we're here. Awesome. And if uh, if you are thinking about a, sh- a shadow market, something that's a spinoff of mm-hmm. use Queen of Raw as your starting point, then there you go. Talk to Stephanie and she'll uh, yep. hook you up with uh, what, what you need to know. Anytime. You bet. Awesome. So Queen of Raw is a online marketplace. You can visit the marketplace itself. Uh, and could you give us a little, uh, little intro and understanding of, is this available to anyone? Can anyone go on and purchase? Yep. Anyone, anywhere in the world. We truly are global. Amazing. That's at queenofraw.com. Um, and also you can say hi to them on Instagram and Twitter at queen of raw all one word and they've got some really great stuff and obviously stephanie's doing some some public engagements in the future so you'll definitely see her at events and definitely go say hi to her when you see her because she's obviously very fun to talk to and has a lot to say about uh about the whole system thank you appreciate all the kind words and support and, and couldn't do it without everyone so thank you all thank you stephanie we'll talk soon Take care. Bye. That's all we got for today. But 
be sure to rate and subscribe to this podcast so that you get to see exactly when the next episode is released. The rating also really helps other people to see this podcast so we can bring the circular economy to even more. Reach out to me on Twitter at S-T-E-W underscore H-I-L-L-H-O-U-S-E. That's at Stu underscore Hillhouse to suggest more guests for other episodes or just to reach out and say hi. See you next week and thanks for listening.